Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I'm Liz Loza and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planters, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years. Do you want to know what satisfied me today, Matt? I know you do. I ask you every Sunday. I'd love to know. Dying to know. Uh, It was a new pair of sweatpants, actually. Uh, a lounge <laughs> lounge gear is uh, is very in for 2020 and I'm leaning into it uh, much like Derek Henry is leaning into all of the tacklers and pushing them out the way. Thankfully, my body is not pushing the sweatpants out of the way. They are quite loose and that feels nice. But Derek Henry, on the other hand, smashing folks. Darius Leonard among them. He didn't smash Darius Leonard, but Darius Leonard didn't catch him. 178 rushing yards and three touchdowns. You mentioned it on our FFL halftime show. It's December, almost. We're very close to tomorrow. will be December, and that is Derek Henry season for real. I don't want to hear anybody talk about how he doesn't get enough work in the passing game. He's doing plenty. Yeah, the Titans offense as a whole has been doing plenty lately. You know, I've made this point on a couple podcasts that like this was sort of the hardest portion of their schedule, starting with that week seven game against the Steelers and then leading all the way up until today. Uh, They're they're outing their second matchup with the Colts. Uh, It hasn't really looked too problematic the last two weeks. You know, obviously they have that down game against the Colts on Thursday night. Then they... um, they have a great second half against the Ravens, end up winning that game. You're happy with basically all of your fantasy performers from that game. And then same thing here uh, in in week 12 against the Colts again. Like, I know that we don't think of the Titans among the most elite offenses in the NFL, probably because they're old school. They run the ball on early downs. They're not the most voluminous passing attack in the NFL. But the reality is, like, Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, and Ryan Tannehill have all played like top 10 options at their respective positions from a real life um, point of view. And they've also gotten, we talked about this on the uh, halftime show today too. They've also gotten like very underrated contributions from Corey Davis. He had a 37 yard catch today that set up Tannehill's rushing touchdown um, where every Colts defender basically went with Derrick Henry mm-hmm. on the run action fake after he had already scored a bunch of touchdowns. So I love the way this offense is setting up and now the rest of their way the rest of the way like I said they're they're through the hardest portion of their schedule the rest of the way uh it looks great for the Tennessee Titans uh from an offensive scheduling perspective they get Cleveland next week then Jacksonville Detroit Green Bay and then they finish up with Houston like it doesn't really get much better that, than that from a schedule standpoint I think you covered all of the bases. How are you treating, though, Ryan Tannehill as a quarterback? I mean, is he still in the – because we do talk about it, and it is – everybody knows it at this point, right? The voluminous – the lack of voluminous passing opportunities. But we saw Tannehill run one in today, as you mentioned, right? So that buoys his fantasy stock a little bit. Um, he's still – Earlier, I'm asking the question because a couple of weeks ago, you said you don't care that there isn't enough volume here because you're interested in the talent. And I agree with you in terms of A.J. Brown and whichever ancillary piece this week, it was Corey Davis and not Johnu Smith, that then extends to matchup depending. But if we're dealing with, and I'm asking this also because we got a lot of Ryan Tannehill quarterback questions, like in a position as deep as quarterback, we're heading into 
the fantasy playoffs with not as much depth as we thought at the position. And so how do we treat Derrick Henry? I mean, how do we treat Ryan Tannehill, rather, especially when we're noting that the matchups aren't so difficult? Yeah, I mean, I love him the rest of the way. Uh, he is, he's is—he's been a guy in uh, the 14 team league that we're in together, Liz. He's been my QB one in that in that Superflex league uh, all season, basically. And you know, he's QB nine on the year right now. So, I mean, he's been playing as a top 10 fantasy option as well as I think a top top 10 real life NFL quarterback. Like the volume, like you said, is not gonna be there. That's just never gonna be the case in this offense, but. You've been banking on the efficiency, and you've been rewarded so far. You've been banking on the way they call plays and the way um, they design play-action throws and open receivers for Ryan Tannehill. You've been rewarded on that so far. And again, going now into the juicy part of that schedule, mm-hmm. I don't see any reason um, why we should you know, back off on that. Like I said, I think... The- Brown is so good as an individual talent that like he elevates this entire offense. And the fact that Corey Davis is playing competently, the fact that John U. Smith, when he pops up, is usually in scoring position. I think, mm-hmm. I think you got to like that there from a Ryan Tannehill perspective. Well, and the fact, I mean, Frisker was outpacing him in terms of receptions over the past few weeks too. So there's another contributor, which all adds to Tannehill. And I think it's also, you know, we talk about December being Derrick Henry season, but as this team is making a real run, they may be more willing to pull back on Henry because the efficiency of the passing game, even though it is not voluminous, as we've said numerous times. Um, so because when you're looking at game script, you might say like, oh, well, this other team isn't going to fight back. So it's a Derrick Henry game, right? Like the, but they, I think there might be an opportunity to get a little bit loose to do, frankly, what we thought the Ravens were going to do at this point in the season, get a little loose with the passing game, try some new things out, discover some things as they set up for January. Um, so we discussed efficiency. Jonathan Taylor finally looked efficient and then did not end up playing. So, um, here we go. Um, he was placed on the COVID list prior to this outing. So you've got Wilkins and Hines who split the backfield work, but Jacoby Brissett, we talked about this on the FFL halftime show too. Ain't no way there is going to be a design run for Phillip Rivers at his age. So So why not pop in Brissett and let him do the dirty work? Yeah, the like um, Jacoby Brissett package of the Colts playbook is one of the most fascinating, um, fascinating things that I don't really like. I don't really care. Like, I don't need to see Jacoby Brissett plays, but it's just like it's a little weird. It's always weird to see him trot out there, you know. Uh, especially because I mean, it's not as if he's some sort of. Um, well, it's, it does. It's not unpredictable. We know what's going to happen now. Yeah, you know exactly. You know? What's gonna ha- <laughs> well, either two things are either two things are going to happen. He's going to QB sneak it, or he's going to throw a hail mary. So, like, I, you should be able to figure out, based on, like, what the game position is, exactly what Brissett's going to do. Still, scores the two touchdowns today. Uh, yeah, you're not designing any runs for Rivers. Also, too, like, Rivers played this game hurt. Um, you know, he, he came in with an injury. I think that was a problem um, for the offense in general. Um, this is not a team, the Indianapolis Colts, that is built to – this is a cliche thing to say, but they're not built to come from behind. You know, they're not built um, to be the type of team. They're like with the Titans up on them early and pretty much controlling the action, especially with the injuries on and COVID absences on their on their defense. Just not a situation where um, they're going to be able to thrive in that game script. So, well, I, I don't think the results were too too surprising. I picked the Colts to win this game. I mean, the the Titans to win this game, especially just given everything going on. I wasn't too shocked. Um, just like the defenses shouldn't be too shocked when Jacoby Brissett walks on the field, what exactly is going to happen. And you will, listeners, not be shocked to hear that we are not offering running back eligibility to Jacoby Brissett. So let's move on before you get any ideas. (laughs) The Chargers at Buffalo. Uh, You know, going into this one, we had a lot of questions with John Brown sitting, whether or not it would be Gabriel Davis who benefited or Cole Beasley. And the answer was, in a weird way, both. Gabriel Davis... Three catches for 79 yards and a touchdown thrown to him by Cole Beasley. Didn't see that one coming, right? Nope. Uh, this That's sort of a, a right for – yeah, right? It's sort of a right for the wrong reasons type of situation uh, with uh, <laughs> with Cole Beasley there. But like you said, if you played him, you'll take it. 
Indeed, the receivers did what they did. It was a slow start for Stefan Diggs. You mentioned that it was a bit tilting um, to get things going, and he did not find the end zone. He did see nine targets, so the process was right. But I don't think we mentioned during FFL that Chris Harris was coming back, the cornerback for the Chargers in this one, and I think his presence was certainly felt among the defense. Yeah, definitely. That's a great point. Um, I don't think I had taken that into account either in my own like lineup building process that um, Harris being back was going to be a big deal. Just makes our entire defense better. Um, I would also if it's also be remiss to not point out too like Joey Bosa is not a guy that we talk about enough as one of the best defensive players in the NFL, I feel like, which is oh, I always feel like it's a stupid thing to say like we don't talk about this guy enough or whatever, but you know, he doesn't get referenced as one of the best players in the NFL, but he's definitely capable of wrecking an entire game. And I feel like there every time I watched this game, you know, it popped up on my screen, he was making a big play. He was doing something to affect the opposing offense in Buffalo. So, yeah, that was that was a big difference. Also, you know, I just feel like Buffalo's offense stalled out a little bit more than I probably expected it to. This just it didn't this never materialized into the back and forth fantasy bonanza that many expected it was not bonanza ish but what we did get was the return of austin eckler which according to the sign behind you you're quite pleased about and also keenan allen continued to eat right uh this was great if you've got austin eckler on your fantasy team if you had to pull him out of a lot of ir spots which i did uh today and felt great about it um he was on the field for 72 percent of the charger snaps uh, he saw he was responsible for thirty nine or thirty two point nine percent of their yards from scrimmage. Owned a massive share of the red zone targets. Obviously, Josh Kelly ends up popping in the touchdown after Eckler is like this close. I frankly, I think he might have scored on that catch, but maybe that's personal bias. Considering I told you I just yanked him off a bunch of IR spots today. So uh, be that as it may, whatever. The opportunity was great for Eckler. There was nothing even close to a pitch count. He has 11 catches. That was a team high. Uh, But as you mentioned, I think also the other good news here, Keenan Allen still gets 10 catches. Keenan Allen still finds the end zone. 10 targets. Yes. Sorry, 10 10 targets, 4 catches, 40 yards. I don't think Eckler's return takes any of the shine off of Keenan Allen. Now, it might take some of the shine off of a guy like Mike Williams, Williams, who was definitely a disappointing uh, player in this matchup with three for 26. Um, Tyron Johnson actually ends up getting the deep catch 55 yards. So that's going to happen to Williams when you're not getting the same amount of volume uh, with Eckler back in there. That's going to be part of the equation. But that's also because the team, the entire game didn't turn into the bonanza as you described, right? Like we were advocating for Williams based on the projected over-under, based on this back and forth. And sometimes game flow like just doesn't go the way you anticipated. And because of that, Williams lost out though. That, that did play that play when Herbert threw it into triple coverage was absolutely incredible and good for that kid for going up and getting it. Um, No kidding. If we're going to talk about the shine being off of something, Derek Carr, my goodness, after he dazzled and, like, changed minds, right? He was in the middle of a damn rebrand. We had all bit and bought. I talked about the balance that this Raiders offense now had and how stunning it was and, like, one of the good things of 2020. And womp womp, none of that. Like, this entire Raiders team fell flat even in a I was I'm like I did think that maybe there may not like maybe they'd be able to rely on Josh Jacobs more than we thought because there wasn't a Gurley there wasn't a Julio Jones and so how much firepower are we really anticipating Matt Ryan to put forth and fight back with and like Carr won't have to work that hard oh no that is not at all what happened (laughs) process completely wrong on my end oh yeah I mean It's always tough when you get a performance like this after, um, like you said, Derek Carr is out there changing hearts and minds with probably, I mean, I think that was the best game of his career. Yeah, with Nelson Aguilar, like, I think that Chiefs, his performance in that loss is probably the best full on balance game I think I've ever seen Derek Carr play. 100%. This might have been the worst. (laughs) So, and, you know, everybody's ready to pen their apology letters to John Gruden after clowning that hire that it's like, oh, God damn, this is Derek Carr and John Gruden next time to cook together. Yeah, it's always tough when that happens. But at the same time, I feel like 
this could, you know, this, this might easily be it. No one likes to hear this. No one likes this excuse, but this could easily just be one of those, like, you know what? Sometimes things just happen. 11 penalties in this game, five fumbles from the Raiders. Uh, Derek Carr also throws an interception, just making some just bad decisions. Um, look, I, I feel like we could be halfway through their game against the Jets uh, next week. Yeah, by the way, they, they, they play the Jets next week, and we could easily be right back to, okay, well, on balance, the Raiders have been a good team all year, uh, and Derek Carr has played well all year, and this is just one of those times where things happen. And look, it's also credit to Raheem Morris, you know, the guy that uh, mm. the owner, Arthur Younger. Blank, said, yeah, yeah, Youngry is back. Like, we're, we're back and we're Youngry. Actually, I mean, the Falcons are kind of an old team, but be that as it may. Uh you know, Raheem Morris, the owner, Arthur Blank, says, like, man, maybe if he goes undefeated, we consider him for the head coaching job. Rubs a few people the wrong way saying that. The Falcons have, have looked pretty good, looked pretty decent under Raheem Morris. Not great. They still had some embarrassing outings. But, you know, this is not as if they've turned the ship around in Atlanta. But they're not the complete pushover that they were under Dan Quinn. And that's all I'll say on that. We did get the Brian Hill letdown game, as expected. Uh, he split the backfield work with Ito Smith, 12 for Smith, 13 for Hill. So if you started him in DFS, sorry, you didn't see it coming. Um, yeah. It was actually Ito Smith who was more efficient, which I think is both telling and surprising. Um, and then from the receiving core, this receiving core was banged up to start anyway. Like, there's a, there's a lot... Hayden Hurst wasn't fully healthy. We mentioned Julio wasn't there. Ridley's been battling a couple of nagging issues throughout the season. He did find the end zone, only six catches for 50 yards. Um, but I think this was a very Falconsy performance that is not <laughs> reflected in the final score. I mean, like, this game was won by their kicker. Yes, it was. Uh, their kicker that was, like, kind of working through his own uh, knee issue there, too. Yeah, that's right. Calvin, yeah, Calvin Ridley, I also think, got banged up at one point in this game, too. So just keep keep your eye on that. Like you said, he's been battling uh, injuries all year. Yeah, the Brian Hill thing, I feel stupid that I fell for that one. Um, this We saw this exact same thing last year, right? Like, yeah. when he took over the backfield in a great matchup against the Carolina Panthers. I can remember it because he was, you know, he's one of the guys that, and I don't, I don't hate that players do this. In fact, you know, you've got all the freedom in the world to do this. And, and you know what, by all means, I love that they poke the bear. Uh, but he's one of the guys that like got on Twitter after he uh, had that bad game against the Panthers replacing Devonta Freeman. It was like, I don't care about your fantasy team. doesn't matter to me, whatever. So I remember that happening. And this is like almost the exact same thing takes over uh, for a bad running game, um, and it just doesn't really work into the way it... But the, overall, the Falcons ran the ball pretty well today, but it's not as if this has been, like, the juiciest backfield to get fantasy value from outside of Todd Gurley popping in uh, random touchdowns. The Giants at Cincinnati. If you're talking about popping in random touchdowns, I mean, Wayne Gallman has been doing that over his last, what, I think he has six over his last five now. He found the end zone again against Cincinnati he did it early you mentioned during the halftime show that he got it out of the way felt nice ended up with 94 Always nice. Always appreciate yards that. <laughs> and a score yeah it's also interesting to me that you know last year when Barkley was initially hurt before they rushed him back onto the field unnecessarily uh and there was the game against Washington that Gallman subbed in for him and he went up he went I mean admittedly the Washington defense at that point last year was different than it is now but still he rolled up over yeah. 100 yards and then was concussed the following week and and then just ignored like sorry we don't we're not are you gonna yeah. hold a concussion against the guy my god you know and now um they've gone through all these gymnastics and he continues to be dare I say with Daniel Jones being banged up the engine of this fiat level offense <laughs> I mean there's not much horsepower here but yeah, that's my concern coming out of this game is that um, Daniel Jones has a, a hamstring injury. He tried to go back and then there was clear he just could not move like he needs to move to be an NFL quarterback. Um, look, I, I knew we were going to get some weird sights and sounds in week 12 of the NFL, given all the news that was coming into this week. Um, An option play with Colt McCoy was not on my bingo card. I'll, <laughs> I'll just put that out there. But you know what? We might get some more of that because it sounds like this injury for Daniel Jones is going to cause him to miss some time. So we'll see. And I just, 
I don't know how I feel about it's not as if Daniel Jones is the greatest quarterback in the world or anything, but I don't know how I feel about now trusting Wayne Gallman as the engine of a Colt McCoy offense in New York in the year 2020. Well, just add this to your marinating. It, it is very weird because last night when I was showering, I did think, you know who we haven't heard from in a minute is Colt McCoy. That is, that's not what I'm asking you to think about. But I, I did specifically think like, huh, I wonder whatever happened to that guy's career. He went to Oaks Christian, right? I remember when I would go down the 101 in that direction. like, And then I saw him playing and I was like, oh my God, you're prescient. You should really do something better with your life if you have the skill. Um, but anyway. Well, I mean, also you should be nailing all your fantasy picks. You should be, no. you should be uh, manifesting a lot more than just, I mean, if you're going to manifest something for us, Liz, could you do something other than bringing Colt McCoy into our lives? Is that too Sorry. much for me to ask? I, but here's what I am thinking. Now I'm a little bit obsessed with Colt McCoy and his return because I feel like you're right. I did help manifest it. And next week, do you know who the Giants have without looking? Well, I'm already. I already have a schedule, <laughs> so right. I've looked, and it it is the Seattle Seahawks. Anyway, yeah. th- this is our. We're we've got to move on. <laughs> but nobody got wants to move to. on. <laughs> <laughs> no, not one single person listening gives a damn about this this Colt McCoy history lesson. Oh gosh, I'm I'm so sorry. Manifesting this. All right, Carolina at Minnesota. We're going to talk about former Washington. Signal callers, look who is managing. No Adam Thielen, no problem for Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson, who was the team's wide receiver one without issue, found the end zone. And that's been that's been the problem with Jefferson, right? Like we know he's got air yards. We know he's got yards after the yeah. catch, but he's not getting any of the re- any of those red zone looks. I don't think he's seen a red zone look since like October, if that. Meanwhile, finds the end zone twice. I should also mention that there was no Irv Smith in this one. Dalvin Cook was hurt for a second. He returned. He should be fine. Um, And, yeah, Justin Jefferson, uh, seven catches, 70 yards, two touchdowns. Yeah, definitely reaffirming, I think, that he's – I mean, Carolina's defense, whatever. But, like, I think reaffirming that he is as good as the numbers indicate. Like, he is a guy that that could be any team's wide receiver one if needed. Um, Maybe I'm getting soft – as I'm staring down 30 here next year, maybe it's just, you know, looking for silver linings in 2020. But I found the – did you see the video of, of Adam Thielen, like, celebrating with his kids and uh, getting all excited about the Vikings, like, as he's watching them from home on the COVID list? I found that really wholesome and, like, really nice. And I, that, that stuff's, like – it's kind of doing it for me. I don't know that it would have done it for me, like, three years ago, but I'm, I was in on that. That was cool. Well, I'm on the other side of 30, so I'm to being I'm fine being jaded again, like I was oh. uh, in my late 20s. So uh, <laughs> no, it didn't do it for me. I thought this okay. is uh, this is wonderfully cheesy. And uh, next, I was actually I yeah. I was thrilled for Justin Jefferson because I feel like he was getting the shine that people were doubt we've had. And I think for us, we've had so many questions week after week about can Justin Jefferson do it? And he had the slow start to the season. So I was thrilled to see like, yes, give him an opportunity. He's not one of these wide receivers who needs somebody else on the other side of the field, pulling defensive attention. Like he could do the thing. And you're right. The matchup is not the most difficult, but uh, I appreciated that. And I do want to talk about the Panthers receiving core because they have inspired a lot of chatter in fantasy circles and NFL circles. And, you know, we've seen a role reversal that we've talked about ad nauseum between Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. But then DJ Moore leaves this contest with a non-contact leg injury. Yeah, uh, That doesn't look good. It didn't look good when it happened and it doesn't sound good moving forward. Right. And, oh, man, that's brutal because, number one, um, they could have won that game. Teddy Bridgewater yeah. should have hit that. Should have hit that throw. There's a lot of like, a lot of ways the universe could have responded differently in that moment. But it is what it is. Um, just a tough outing for DJ Moore in general. Too that like two has nine targets, four for sixty one. Uh, so not like a terrible, terrible game. But man, I mean the the misses there. That 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 those those five targets that were unrealized for DJ Moore also included a lot of air yards could have been a bigger game just wasn't a very good performance for Teddy Bridgewater in general and you feel bad for it but it is what it is and also 
Like, we talked about the role reversal, too. Robbie Anderson, that 41-yard catch-and-run touchdown, I feel like Joe Brady has been trying to manifest that for Robbie Anderson on that exact shallow cross-drag-type route. Like, they've had Robbie Anderson running that so much this year. I feel like he's been he's been trying to manifest that exact touchdown catch so many times this year. Finally happens uh, for the Panthers, but... If Moore misses time, like Samuel is still really involved in this team. He catches all five of his targets for 72 yards, has another carry for five yards. Like yeah, I mentioned this, he's like clearly healthy and entrenched as it, with a clear role. Could be big for those two guys moving forward because there's really nothing else going on. Um, we'll see with Christian McCaffrey, but like no tight ends. Mike Davis has fallen by the wayside in terms of the target pecking order. So um, could be good. Could be good for those guys from like a pure fantasy perspective. Panthers are on a bye next week. So the return in week 14, presumably also with CMC. And as you mentioned, if more is out, then Curtis Samuel is elevated to that number two spot. Arizona at New England. This was an interesting, this was an interesting game. I don't know if it was exciting per se, but if you're like a pure NFL fan, I found it um, chin scratching, if you will. Uh, the Patriots did pull out a win despite... <laughs> only managing 84 passing yards from Cam Newton. You know, somebody on Twitter complained because the question was, who should I start, Derek Carr or Cam Newton? And both Jared and I advocated for Cam Newton. And then he complained that he lost. And I was like, well, we gave you the right answer. I'm sorry, your option yeah. sucks. <laughs> yeah, sorry, you, you asked a bad, ask a better question next time. <laughs> I don't know, you didn't add Ryan Fitzpatrick. That was yeah, also in there. Yeah. Um, but Cam, in addition to those 84 passing yards, did manage over 40 Rushing yards, uh, Jacoby Myers had five catches for 52 yards, but it was not a Jacoby Myers day. It was not no. a Damian Harris day. We had Damian Harris on bus list throughout FFL because the game script didn't project to be in his favor. It would be if uh, Bill Belichick would let him catch a couple passes, but that's not how Bill Belichick is using him. It was, in fact, finally James White's day. He scored two touchdowns. Love to see it, right? Like, absolutely thrilled that given everything personally, if you want to talk about, like, mm -hmm. what's emotionally gratifying, I don't care about somebody celebrating at home with their damn kids. They're at home theoretically with their kids, or they should be all the damn time. What is interesting <laughs> is to see personal, professional triumph after personal tragedy, and that is what James White did, and that is absolutely what gets me going and got me going this week. I was thrilled for him, and I'm thrilled for his matchup next week against the Chargers as well. Yeah, I mean, White should remain a pretty big part of the backfield because yeah. I think we've we've gotten the the picture now that like the Patriots are probably not going back to Sony Michelle in any form. We know Rex Burkhead is now out for the year, so um, he should remain that guy alongside Damian Harris, who's still the clear like RB one in this backfield. Fourteen carries, no one else sees more than five. It was five with James White, and obviously Cam Newton's still chipping in there too. This game, my big takeaway from this game was that it's ironic, um, you know, as he's playing across from a guy, and Kyler Murray's playing across from a guy in Cam Newton. I've always compared Kyler Murray to, like, fun-sized Cam Newton, at least during his rookie year, because, like, they're both runners. They both have incredible uh, arm strength. They're not perfect as passers, but I think Murray has taken a step this year beyond that comparison. But, you know, the guy who, who, who coined the Superman uh, celebration – is Cam Newton. And in a way, my thought coming out of this game is like, man, if the Cardinals don't get a Superman effort from Kyler Murray, they're not a good enough team to counteract that. You know, their offense in general isn't very healthy beyond Murray, like scrambling. His 31 yards, his 46 yards the last two games. And by the way, the last two games, he's been nursing a shoulder injury. He came into this game pretty banged up, was mostly just rehabbing a practice all week. So that would explain why he didn't have that Superman type game. He has 46 yards the last two weeks. That's a number he's cleared in like, I think five or seven games all year. Like this is something we usually see him uh, perform much better than that over the course of just a single contest. So if Murray is compromised, this Cardinals offense just, it just doesn't really have a lot else going for it uh, from us. Like his scrambles are a part of like their passing game in a crazy way. Well, they add the unpredictability that allows other pieces of the offense to get open, to find holes. Um, so I think you're making an excellent point. I also think that Stephon Gilmore played up for this game. I think that he was just like, yeah. okay, 
superstar to superstar, you know, I mean, there was there was a chatter about it on social media leading up to the game, right? Who are you covering? I think you know who I'm covering. And yeah, I think you this, know. right, like this was one he played up for. And I think everybody acknowledged when you look at this matchup, the two, the next gen comparisons between the two quarterbacks that you're mentioning. So I think I think this was a team effort. Cam Newton looked incredibly relieved at the end of the game too. Like you haven't really seen that kind of emotion from Cam, but he definitely seemed just like, thank God. Like I haven't been one upped by the little version of myself yet. You know, like I I think the whole team went in with that energy. It's also worth mentioning. So I mentioned that Gilmore played up, right? DeAndre Hopkins held to just five catches for 55 yards. That's going to happen. The broadcast crew was talking about the fact that they were, uh, that they were able to get the run game going, I, I mean, I felt like that was a little bit of stretch. Like, yes, in terms of scoring, yeah. uh, you saw Drake score twice, but also how many times did he try to score and couldn't yeah. find his way over the goal line? He also wasn't particularly efficient. He didn't look, I mean, he, he didn't look, he wasn't zooming all over the place. He wasn't slippery. He wasn't finding holes on the regular. It was definitely 22 uh, rushing attempts for 78 yards is not a great effort. So um, I love the, piece that you're mentioning that that it wasn't oh like I keep making this opening thing because there wasn't this when you think about this Kingsbury offense you expect it to be spread out and open with all of this excitement and this fast-paced atmosphere and that didn't happen and interestingly it was Larry Fitzgerald the oldest damn player on the offense (laughs) who was missing and then you had this slowed down effort yeah yeah I think it's been kind of a a disappointing season, which weird to say, because like the Cardinals are way ahead of schedule in their rebuild. You know, like they were the worst team in the league in 2018, mm-hmm. and now they're a potential playoff team here um, this year. You know, they've obviously fallen a little hard times the last couple weeks, and you know we'll see about Kyler going forward. So like they're ahead of schedule in their rebuild, but I feel like Kingsbury's conservatism has become a bit of a problem for this team too. Yeah. I have some thoughts about that. We, we don't have to waste time. That's like a real football an analogy. Yeah. Um, I will say that um, nobody wants that right now. Um, I will say, though, that keep an eye from a fantasy perspective on Murray's practice reports throughout the week. Like, I don't think he won't play, but let's see how severe it is if he is rehabbing again throughout practice because next week the Cardinals host the Rams, and you know Aaron Donald is licking his chops. And if there is a compromised quarterback, Aaron Donald, as it is his job, will probably try to exploit any vulnerability possible. Um, yep. Miami at the Jets. I love Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like, I love what he does for this offense. I don't care if Tua is dealing with a thumb injury, if the conspiracies about him being benched are real, if the t- All I care about is the fact that Ryan Fitzpatrick and Devontae Parker are it. I'll ship it. I'll let's ship it. That's all I care about. <laughs> In for it. Let the magic and his muse play for the stretch run. Yeah, I mean this is 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 an interesting topic because in one way, it probably doesn't matter. If if you believe Brian Flores that as soon as Tua is healthy, he's the starter. This isn't a question. He's very insistent about that. If you believe him, then it, this whole conversation doesn't really matter because, like, next week, Tua could be back out there and we'll never see Fitz in a Dolphins uniform ever again. That's a very real possibility. But what you say is undeniably true. Like, it is a it is a clear fact, I think, that Fitzpatrick is better for this offense from a fantasy perspective. You know, Gasecki gets his first touchdown since frickin' September this week. Yeah, well, f- for sure. But and I but I think like we can say all this and and we still like like Tua might still end up being a very good quarterback. Like he might still end up being a great quarterback for this team. Like both those things can be true cuz I don't think you can deny that right now like yeah, Parker way better off in fantasy. Has his most yards of any any uh, game this year uh, against the Jets this week with Fitz under center. Like I just don't think you can deny that at this point that it would be better off if for fan. I, I well, I'll just I'll say strictly for fantasy, but maybe for real life too. Um, you know that that he'd be better if Fitz was under center. Um, and I don't really think you can get away from that. Look, I just don't think that the Dolphins thought they'd be this this far ahead. Uh, with a journeyman backup quarterback, and here they are. And 
the schedule moving forward, let's just, I'll just give you the schedule moving forward, dear listeners. Cincinnati, Kansas City, New England at Las Vegas in week 16. Week 17 is at Buffalo. Those are interesting matchups. Those are matchups that I maybe, don't know. You don't, you, maybe you don't need Ryan Fitzpatrick against Cincinnati. Maybe, I think maybe you like Fitzpatrick against Kansas City because of the YOLO style of ball he plays and he can maybe pace with Mahomes, but maybe maybe you don't need him. Maybe Flores can scheme against Kansas City well enough right now. Uh, so we'll see. Do you remember when, um, when Matt Leinart uh, was oh, the Cardinals? Person. Yeah, our guy Matt Leinart. Uh, when Matt Leinart was um, the quarterback for the Cardinals and Ken Wisenhut started to do like the quarterback split between him and Kurt Warner. And then eventually they just had, they just like Warner was just so much better with all of his reps that they eventually just uh, went with Kurt Warner. And then they were in a freaking Super Bowl against the Steelers. Maybe that's what, maybe that's like the, uh, maybe that's what's going to happen here. I mean, it's not, I, but I mean, yes, I yes, except that Matt Leinart was a pretty boy from SoCal and Tua Tungavailoa was born with the God-given knowledge that he was put on this earth to play football. And so you can't look at those two players and they're... I I hear where you're going, and I love the analogy. I also think that it's okay. Like, we've gotten so... Again, this is a real-life football conversation. Oh, no, there's no utility to it. But uh, we've gotten so far away from letting a rookie quarterback sit and learn to now, well, they better be able to play. They better be able to get out there. They better Justin Herbert, everything, right? And so now we move so yeah. far away from it that it seems wild that we might, in a playoff run, let this kid learn a little bit. I don't know. Maybe we're maybe we're. It doesn't matter. For fantasy, Matt is right. D- I would like to see Ryan Fitzpatrick for fantasy. And if in the middle of the week that changes, I'm sure we'll talk plenty about it. And you know what to do. Um, if two is under center, and then I think you have a little bit of a, of a downgrade. Let's talk about the running backs, especially since next week uh, the team plays Cincinnati, and that's a. a a soft matchup for the backfield. No Gaskin, no Ahmed, which meant DeAndre Washington was the lead back in Miami. He turned 13 carries into 49 yards. Are you excited yet? Nope. It was supposed to be Matt Breida, but he lost a fumble. And then Patrick Laird uh, also lost a fumble. So, like, Miami's trying to find someone to be their starting running back. And nobody want to hold on to that job, apparently. No. Or the ball. Or maybe Brian Flores also, like, to make examples out of people who don't play well. That's the last thing I'll say about that. On the Jets side of things, I will say there is some optimism to take out of the Jets' performance, out of Sam Darnold's performance. We went into this thing. Yes, here's why. Similarly to the point you made about J.D. McKissick not clearing 15 targets, right, or just not going beyond 15 targets, the fact that Alex Smith was able to move away from McKissick, move away from his comfort zone, and targeting... Terry McLaurin or finding other pieces. Remember that a couple of weeks ago? McLaurin, by the way, balled out on Thanksgiving. It was beautiful. and It was beautiful. I will say the same thing of Sam Darnold. The fact that he didn't lock in to, Cam- to Jamison Crowder, who over the first month of the season did not play a game without double-digit targets. Now, you can say that's because Perryman wasn't on the field and Mims wasn't on the field. But the fact that Darnold was far enough along in his development, especially after missing three weeks to come back and not just lock in and check down is saying something. He did give the ball to Perryman. He did give the ball to Mims. And I think it's not happening in 2020, but that is a silver lining or something to be optimistic about the eventual evolution of this Jet squad in a post-Adam Gase era. Yes, that is a, a thin, thin silver lining, but it is a silver lining. I mean, I, I hope that Sam Darnold is able to like reclamate his career at some point because it's just not going to happen in New York and like whether he hasn't been good enough or whether uh, they've ruined him, whatever the result is bad in, in New York. Um, they scored three points today, you know, like they're still, um, I think I saw Will Brinson uh, tweet out that like they're treating Frank Gore, like he's prime Emmett Smith, you know, like we're running him on early downs every single drive. Um, there's also a, a um, I mean, yeah, just don't mess with the jets. I, I do agree that like there is a, a version of this team that, you know, has Trevor Lawrence next year 
and Mims is like a good number two receiver. They can keep Crowder in the slot. They can cut him, whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, they sign a guy like an Allen Robinson or a Kenny Galladay or a Chris Godwin that gets um, gets free in in free agency. This is a great wide receiver free agency class. Suddenly you're looking at a Jets offense that looks vastly different than the one that we're taking that's taking the field right now. I think I think there's some there's some room for optimism, not a whole ton. Um, and by the way, I bet Miami wishes they had Frank Gore back because he was more efficient than any of their backs today. He managed a, over 80 <laughs> yards, didn't find the end zone, but we know that that's not really his thing last week, uh, notwithstanding. So the Sunday night late games, let's just get through New Orleans at Denver. My goodness. It was a thing that happened. We have to acknowledge it. I don't <laughs> I don't think we need to say much else. Yep. Nope. I mean, tough for Philip Lindsay's coming out of this game with an injury too, uh, which was a bummer because he had a couple of good runs as uh, the guy getting the snaps for so many different reasons. He was getting the snaps for the Broncos. (laughs) (laughs) I I still can't believe this game happened. Um, one, one completion, one completion to Noah Fant for, for 13 yards, I mean, if you've got, if you were a, like, if you were literally a psychopath that, that played Kendall Hinton um, in your flex spot or as an eligible wide receiver, you deserve exactly what you got. And um, I mean, good on, good on him for getting out there and doing the damn thing. And I think that's like the only take here. I think you're totally right from the Saints side of things. I mean, Taysom Hill, 78 yards. I mean, this is a, a, from the passing perspective, 78 yards passing for Taysom Hill, 13 for Kendall Hinton. Taysom Hill uh, did continue to work as a running back, scored two touchdowns on the ground. Latavius Murray, oh, man, this was – Latavius Murray had some great moments, and he also just had some big mistakes. Alvin Kamara did enter this game with a foot injury. Um, I did not – do you think that that, Matt, affected his performance? I hope so. Because otherwise yeah. it's like full-on panic in the freaking streets for uh, Alvin Kamara. I mean, either way, still ultra-concerning to see him get two targets, one catch for negative two yards. Um, I don't know how if you've got, if you've, Kamara's like your RB1 and you've rode him to a great record uh, heading into the fantasy playoffs, I don't know how you're not like – I don't know how your, your hands aren't filled with cold sweat coming out of Sunday because – it's not been good. It's not been a good two game sample. And Dalton and I talked about this on on the midweek show last week. The history of running quarterbacks and pass catching running backs is not great. So I, I got to feel a little nervous if if you've got Kamara as like the difference maker on your team. Well, hopefully you also have Latavius Murray. And the fact that we should mention Murray out touched uh, Kamara. Latavius Murray had 19 carries to Kamara's 11 leads me to believe I I wanted confirmation from you leads me to believe that there was more at play here there there was a health issue here but that doesn't really help you you're right if you're heading into the last week of the fantasy regular season which I believe is next week so you hopefully have Latavius Murray you're gonna have to do some digging on the waiver wire and um let's move on to the next matchup because there's not much else to say uh the Chiefs Went to Tampa Bay, and um, Patrick Mahomes put on another damn show. 400 over 460 yards, three touchdowns. He was sacked twice, but still played clean without a single turnover. And Tyreek Hill managed three damn touchdowns, flipped his way into the end zone on one of them. It was a, it was a week yeah, of hat tricks, right? Like numerous. Yeah. You had Derrick Henry with three, Antonio Gibson with three, Tyreek Hill with three. It was one of like the best, I think, first quarters ever for for Tyree Kill. I mean, he had like 200 yards and at least two of his touchdowns in the first quarter. One of the one of the most insane starts uh, I've ever seen to a game. And yeah, I mean, I feel like watching this game, it was like the final score doesn't really tell the story here. You know, like this game is 27-24. I don't think the Chiefs looked like just three points better than the Bucks basically at any point during this game. Um, uh, on the other side of it, for, well, okay, sticking with the Chiefs for a second, like, if you can avoid starting Clyde Edwards-Alaire or Le'Veon Bell, you should probably try to do that. I mean, I know they were both coming off big games um, against the Raiders last week, but this was, like, this is mostly what it's been with these two guys. Like, 
Bell uh, ends up with 22 yards on the ground. Edwards Alaire 37. Neither one of them crossed uh, 15 touches on the day. Like this is a very very split backfield for a team that I think is starting to come into like the early in the year they were kind of being pretty conservative with their passing volume. Now I feel like they're just stuffing the stat sheet from a passing game perspective. If you could avoid starting either of those two guys down the stretch, I would try to do that. On the other side of things, let's talk about Tampa Bay. Um, one of the things that I was thankful for going into this week when Andy and I did our, our gratitudes episode was Mike Evans because he can outbody because he has this catch radius. And even though the chemistry between Brady and Evans is, Romo said it numerous times, like even though it is not 100% there, part of the reason Arians gets so damn pissed when Brady avoids him is because he knows how good it should be and could be. And that was evident, like force the ball to Mike Evans and let him do his job. And I think you're seeing Brady acquiesce to that obvious request uh, more, more regularly. And even though, you know, they missed on a connection and then of course it was, there was a lot made of the conversation that they had on the sideline. Like it is interesting to me to see the Bucks be less Tom Brady's offense as we are heading into the end of the year and more Bruce Arians. Yeah. I don't know if you agree with that though. Maybe you don't agree with that. Well, I just feel like it's just, it's such a tough fit for where Brady is at this point of his career. But I agree. I totally agree with you. But that's not why you signed the GOAT. You signed the GOAT because he promises he can do that. Well, he sold you a bag of tricks i guess i don't know but like the mike evans point but i totally agree like brady should not give up on that connection because evans is that good um godwin is that good nine targets uh 97 yards in this one gronk also has a big game from a stats perspective it's just the ab thing too like it's still on it's still on my radar that i feel like it just was was not a necessary move and it has made things more complicated like that connection for all of their time, like living together and all of their sleepovers and all that stuff, it is that's not there. Especially because, like, a lot of the misses from a vertical perspective, they go to Antonio Brown. Like, there's still nothing there from a deep passing perspective. Just feel like if this offense was Evans and Godwin and, um, you know, Sprinkling and Gronk, like the normal Brady stuff, I feel like it'd be a lot better off. But that's not our reality. No. Um, Ronald Jones also, we've talked about this many, many times. Like, you're not every week is going to be a Ronald Jones week, but it, it doesn't matter if I don't trust Ronald Jones or you don't trust Ronald Jones because Bruce Arians has gone to therapy and exercised those gem- demons, and he has no trust issues with Ronald Jones. You know, it doesn't matter how much Leonard Fournette talks about wanting the ball or needing the ball or yaps on social oh my media. God, yeah. Ron- <laughs> Ronald Jones is it. And, you know, it's also telling that this week – Obviously, the the game flow, like we expected there to be a little bit at the top of the game of playing keep away from Patrick Mahomes. That makes sense. And we know that we can run against the the Chiefs defense. But through the air, it was Ronald Jones who scored the touchdown. It wasn't Leonard Fournette who did have more targets, but they weren't those high value looks. Ronald Jones remains the RB1. And again, I don't like it. Doesn't matter, though, because Bruce Arians is okay with it. Don't you feel like this whole team would be better if they just never, if they like, I feel like the both of those moves, Fournette and Brown, were like too cutesy. Like they were too all in. And I feel like both of those guys, whenever they get the ball, like not good, good things don't really happen for the, for the team. I, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I mean, I, I think this, it's the roster construction of like any dynasty squad that I inherit is sort of what's just like, yes, I need pieces. I need pieces. Let's do this. Let's go. So that's what we have. Um, San Francisco at Los Angeles. You made the point on FFL heading into Sunday's games that the last time these two teams met, San Francisco took it to, quote, perfectly stated, the Rams. Um, I will say that I was also very satisfied, if you will, that I did not buy into the Jared Goff hype of last week, right? Like, that was an anomaly. That's going to happen. Do not expect that every week. I can't tell you, and I'm sure you did too, got so many questions about Jared Goff. And I, no, he's he's actually underperformed versus San Francisco quite a few times, and both and so have both Woods and Cup. And Richard Sherman was available. 
I feel like the outcome of this game was so easy to to see coming um, because, yeah, right? Like, Goff has those three touchdowns last week, but we've seen, you know, versus good front sevens. Like, think about that Miami game. That was an absolute disaster for Jared Goff uh, and this team. Uh, now they don't have Andrew Whitworth. This is still a well-coached defense. This is still, like you said, a defense that's getting – one of its best players back and still has plenty of other guys uh, around there too. So yeah, I feel like this was easy to see coming. I was pretty much off of Rams passing game players completely this week. Um, I think you've always, like, this is also a concern for, for people that, you know, want to ride the Rams passing game players the rest of the way. And also for the Rams themselves, as they want to consider themselves one of the best teams in the NFC, like these games are going to happen with with this passing game um and that's problematic if they go against one of the other teams in the nfc that have a great front seven also on the offensive side for san francisco um we might not be seeing them play in their home stadium for quite some time but it sure was nice to see raheem mostert and debo samuel come home to this team because those guys made an immediate positive difference they did receive raheem mostert led the backfield with 16 carries he managed 43 yards but found the end zone. Jeff Wilson was also active for this one. And interestingly, he was second in backfield totes with 12, managed as well, 43 yards on the ground. Um, but I think you're right. Debo Samuel was incredibly impressive. A guy who has like been knocked out numerous times throughout the season because of various injuries, comes back. Nobody fights like Debo. I've, I love that about him. Like, He's grit, and it's so trite and cliche to like say a player plays tough, like he's gritty. But like, you can't look at Debo's game and not use those adjectives to describe him. 13 targets, 11 catches, 133, no touchdown, but my gosh, he literally dragged piles and production. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And the one thing I would say about this, though, with the Debo Samuel thing is. I mean, this is awesome to see. I think he makes a huge difference for the 49ers. At some point, you would think Brandon Ayuk is going to be back, and those two guys will sort of cannibalize each other in a passing game. They're still manned by Nick Mullins. um, But I actually think that Ayuk showing – in a weird way, I actually think that Ayuk showing more, like, traditional receiver chops this year than maybe I or others expected. Um, It might be good news for Samuel to retain that role as the layup guy, the, the bully ball underneath type of player. It's, a, it's an excellent point. I, I do want to talk about the backfield because we have to, and we know we're going to get questions about it in Los Angeles. It was Cam Akers' turn. He did not have as many touches as, or at least as many carries as Daryl Henderson. Daryl Henderson had 10, which was one more, but he was horribly inefficient. <laughs> Cam Akers, nine for 84 and the touchdown. We've been saying it. Matt's been saying it since the summer every week. This is a carousel. You got to figure out who's who it is, and and we don't. You know, Malcolm Brown obviously fumbled in this one, so at least at in the middle of the game, you're like, well, probably it won't be him for a minute, right? Because now Sean McVay has options, and he started to use his options, and so I will say nobody wants to answer this question, which is why we get asked it all the time. I was prioritizing Henderson in my rankings above Acres. Because I felt like he had the hotter hand. Not the hot hand, but the hotter hand. And now I feel like probably if I'm assuming that McVeigh is not lying and there he is using this hot hand approach, that has now switched to Acres. And so I'm going to prioritize Acres ahead of Henderson. But that doesn't mean that he's like a top 24 start. Yeah, right? Like, uh, it's basically a, which one of these guys do you want to rank as RB 27? Uh, that's that's, right. that's like what we're right. That's like what we're yeah. trying to do here. Uh, they're opposing like their schedule is pretty there. I feel like everybody's like everybody's schedule is pretty all right <laughs> to finish the year. I feel like the Patriots and the Seahawks and the Raiders are on basically everyone's schedule to end the year. Arizona next week for uh, the Rams, then New England, the Jets and then Seattle in week 16. So, um, you know, not too many more of these like aggressive front sevens that are going to derail the offense. So, yeah, it does. Tr- it does like matter. To try to figure out who's going to lead this backfield, I think going into next week, Acres will be the guy that I rank at RB twenty seven or whatever, and 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 we'll see where it goes. You'll probably put Henderson at like thirty three, and then maybe yep. Brown at thirty six, thirty eight, depending on. He'll, the he'll, 
he'll uh, he'll inhabit that obligatory like forty RB forty one spot. Forty one, holding fine. that down. All right, uh, last matchup that was played while we were paying attention fully: Cleveland at Jacksonville. This was Nick Chubb versus James Robinson. It was certainly not Baker Mayfield versus Mike Glennon, though. If you look at these. Uh, stat lines from both quarterbacks they should not look this similar that is problematic (laughs) for Baker Mayfield yeah he misses a like wide open Rashard Higgins for a touchdown that was tough um but pretty encouraging for Jarvis Landry to pop up for uh maybe he's healthy now this was this was a huge game for for Landry you know um eight for 40 eight for 143 and a touchdown on 11 targets uh, so we'll we'll see about that one. I don't know if if you can feel confident like starting him going forward or anything, but that would be a pretty big difference for this uh, for this Browns offense. I, I I mean, shout out to James Robinson as um, you know this year has felt kind of lost for Jacksonville from the beginning. You know they bring back this clearly mediocre coaching staff. They just fired their GM today. I don't even know why Dave Caldwell was still employed by the team coming into this year. It feels like this has always just been a bridge year. Uh, But in this darkness of this bridge year, they have found one shining light, and it is James Robinson, who is fourth in the NFL in total yards from scrimmage right now, despite playing uh, for a team that's starting Mike Glennon. I mean, that's insane. That's a a very fair point. Um, I do want to mention about... The Browns, this was the first game that we did not see them in a monsoon or with wind gusts over 20, that is 30 nice. miles per hour. So it is nice to know that Jarvis Landry in an OBJ-less, a post-OBJ reality and some clement weather, he is the team's wide receiver one that he and Baker could connect. Um, and you know what? This is a moment, by the way, that you love Landry's hands. Like, lots are made of it. He is an incredibly sure-handed slot guy. Super, again, tough. Hate to use the word, but here you go. That is helping Baker Mayfield tremendously. Shout out also to Austin Hooper because he scored for the first time since week four. And, oh, wouldn't you know, Brown's female coach, Callie Brownson, assumed the tight end duties as the regular tight ends coach went to go be with his wife who was having a baby. They were having one, obviously, together. So maybe Callie Brownson brings a little bit of extra shine uh, certainly to Austin Hooper and finding the end zone. Oh, shout out to myself for the Tyler Eifert touchdown. I was very happy about it. <laughs> nice, nice. Monday. <laughs> Listen, when you make shout a shout out, like whenever that, we can, or, whenever, yeah, yeah, whenever we can get get a good shout out to me. <laughs> That's the, those are the best. I mean, I also did predict Dawson Knox touchdown, but I don't want to get too out of too just because I also you know thought Derek Carr might do something. So. Um, I don't really take victory laps, but that was one. You're welcome. Here's a curtsy. Monday night and Tuesday night, we've got uh, Seattle at Philadelphia. Great. And then Tuesday, we theoretically have another matchup, Pittsburgh at Baltimore. We discussed on the FFL halftime show that if there were, now it's a little bit too late, I guess, unless you have guys going in the Seattle-Philadelphia game. If there was a tiebreaker, or if you were looking for players to make a tiebreaker, like Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool were the two players that you might consider risking because of their enormous upside on uh, Tuesday night, but otherwise stay away. And um, we'll see how much Jalen Hurts takes the field on Monday night. I'm getting my days confused. Monday night. Yes, Monday night. It's hard not to get things confused at this point. Uh, Just as we're wrapping up here, I saw a report from Pro Football Talk that the Ravens have a scheduled practice tomorrow there but they're waiting on the league's permission to um to to go ahead with that so by Monday you'll know uh what the deal is maybe but Chase yeah I mean the freaking Ravens uh COVID list looks like a starting lineup at this point now that Willie Sneed has been added to it they just need like one more receiver on there and they could field a they could feel a friggin' uh, starting uh, starting lineup. Tough. Oh my god. I mean, I I can't imagine. I still can't imagine that game gets played, but we'll see. We will see, Matt. Um, give us a tease of your regular Sunday night article. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the things obviously that we've talked about in this show, this game, uh, your Chicago Bears and your boy oh, Mitch god. Trubisky are. I took him <laughs> off the outline. What are you doing to me here? I purpose they're not even I mean, on the outline. We don't need to talk about this. Listen, I'll just say that um, 
I think for my don't care segment, I might just put an, on the top like I don't care about anything that Mitch did tonight, other than he just uh, he just threw Allen Robinson to touchdown as we're wrapping up here. That's it. Thanks for playing, Mitch. We don't need anything else from you tonight. You got us that one thing. That's all we were looking for. Don't care about anything else. All right. I'm glad you asked. Are you glad? Are you glad? I, are you glad you asked? Just trying to do you a solid. Trying to get more clicks on your article. Trying to tee you up, and you just got to mention the Bears and Mitch Trubisky. That's okay. I got my lucky socks on tonight. That that did not come out the way I intended it to. Anyway, podcasts. We have a lot of podcasts at Yahoo Sports. Check out the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler and the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and Pat Forty. Follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. That is at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. One more thanks to planters Andy and Scott. We'll be back tomorrow morning to talk pickups. Until then, we are out.